Introducing your host, from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey, I told you we'd be back. I told you I had another one in me. Can't let this wrestling news escape us. There's so much going on. We're constantly playing catch-up. But we're not going to let them get away from us. No, no, no. I'm chasing these wrestling stories like a fisherman chasing a dollar on a Geico commercial. You're not going to get one past me. Welcome to a special, additional episode of Not Sam Wrestling. And the reason that we're here today, as we promised we would be on the last episode of Not Sam Wrestling, is because everything is changing in the world of WWE. I believe in the most significant way in quite some time. And with as much as going on, you know, you watch Raw and, and you've got all the drama going on with, with Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, the Judgment Day. That's huge. Even bigger than that, The Rock shows up on SmackDown on Friday. We talked about it the whole podcast on Monday. Huge. Huge as well. Breaking news and news that it threatens to rock the very foundation of Not Sam Wrestling. You know, here on Not Sam Wrestling, we're dedicated, we've dedicated ourselves to doing three things. We watch the product, we speculate wildly, and we don't fantasy book Randy Orton. And what happens? Right before NXT on Tuesday night, all these reports start coming out that Randy Orton is at the WWE Performance Center. And what does everybody start doing? They think that they go to rule number two. Well, if Randy Orton's at the Performance Center, then part of speculating wildly, and the only reason I know is because I watch the product, means that I can fantasy book Randy Orton. I don't know yet if we're at a place where step three, step two means that we can break step three. It doesn't sound logical to me. I'll tell you this, I won't be opening the email box today, that's for sure, because I fear for my life for what's inside, but even as important as Randy Orton being spotted at the Performance Center is, there is a, 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 a far bigger change that has happened in WWE. And I feel like this change, for the most part, has, at this point, almost gone under the radar with everything that's happened. And I think that that's intentional. I think that the WWE has given us quite a helping of hot topics to talk about. Because right under those topics is what I believe is the most significant change in the WWE, at least since the purchase of WCW, if not before. Maybe the most significant. I think there are maybe... Four truly significant moments in the history, four chapter markers in the true history of the WWE as a company. The first is when the McMahons stepped out of the NWA organization. The second is when Vince McMahon purchased the company from his father. The third is Vince McMahon acquiring WCW. I bought my competition. And the fourth happened on September 12th, 2023. And it is the merger between the WWE and the UFC to create a new company called TKO Holdings. 
TKO Holdings is a company under Endeavor. Endeavor has come in and purchased the WWE at a valuation of somewhere over $9 billion. Merged it with the UFC, a property that they already had acquired, and have created this TKO company that has a valuation of over $20 billion now. And the reason to me this is such a big move is, well, that's for a lot. You know, we, we started the last podcast talking about the layoffs and short term, that is a, a huge change. But that is standard when it comes to these mergers. It's the, it's the unpleasant part of mergers. I remember working for SiriusXM when SiriusXM first merged. They couldn't have two heads of rock, two heads of hip hop, two DJs on this channel, two people. Layoffs happened. That's not what makes this one of, if not the most significant things that's ever happened to this company. What makes it so significant is for the first time, a McMahon does not hold controlling interest over the company that runs the WWE. The WWE, while is being run day to day from a creative point by Triple H and with a power structure that does still have Vince McMahon holding power. Ultimately, the WWE is is a, an organization under two companies. The WWE is under TKO, which is under Endeavor. And the reason that it's so significant that a McMahon is no longer holding controlling interest in the WWE or its parent company is because if you really trace back the history of the WWE and the people who have controlled this organization that many of us have come to both love and hate at the same time, it really tracks the history of professional wrestling in the United States of America. So professional wrestling existed before the 1920s and, and existed all over the place in a lot of different styles. But... It was the 1920s that gave us professional wrestling kind of as we know it today. Because in the, in the early 1920s, a wrestler named Ed Strangler Lewis, along with his manager, not like Bobby the Brain Heenan, but the person who was actually managing him, uh, Billy Sandow, those two combined forces with a wrestler slash creative genius named Toots Mond. And the three of them created what became known as the Goldust Trio. And the Goldust Trio came together. And they presented and more importantly, I believe, organized professional wrestling in a way that it had never been organized or presented before. They looked at the fact that wrestling was waning in popularity because of how long some of these matches that were more the catch-as-catch-can style were taking. The, 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 uh, what once was kind of a hot ticket was losing steam quickly. And while to some extent wrestling had always been fixed, it was the Goldust Trio that said, let's throw it all out the window and let's give people something that's worth buying a ticket to. Let's give them a guarantee. And how do we guarantee it? Well, we take full control over not just who wins and loses, but the entire structure of the match, the outcome, and we think about why. 
Toots Mont is really credited as being the guy who created the concept of the finish. All wrestling matches ended, of course. But the idea that you would think of a finish, what's the finish in this match? Okay, we'll do this, we'll do that, and what's the finish? We as wrestling fans kind of take for granted that that's always just been there. But it was Toots that came up with the idea of, well, this is what the finish will be, whether it was a submission, a pin, the reason we'll do it, it'll lead to this, the storytelling of it. It wasn't just the end of a match. It was a part of storytelling. And that hadn't really been done before the Gold Dust Trio. You know, Toots was the one who would usher in referee bumps, who would usher in time limit draws, who would make it so a match would end in a way that would cause people to come back for the rematch. Or that would, we'd have wrestlers that would be exclusive to this territory that would not be booked for one show, but would be booked for every show. It was the first time you'd see a build. Wrestlers building up. You'd go to the shows and you'd watch a new superstar. And over the course of weeks and months, watch him rise in the rankings. You could follow that journey and feel as a fan invested when he finally got to the world title. This was the genius of Toots. This was the genius of the Gold Dust Trio, but egos get in the way of everything. And by the end of the 1920s, promoters had caught up to what they were doing and started presenting wrestling in the same way that they were, what they coined the slam bam style of professional wrestling, uh, slam bang, slam bam, something like that. And uh, uh, and a, a power struggle happened and the, and the Gold Dust Trio ended up dissolving. But the reason I bring up the Gold Dust Trio is not just to reflect on the history of professional wrestling. It's specifically to go back to our original point because Toots Mont specifically was not done by a long shot in the world of professional wrestling because less than 30 years, about 25 years after the, the, the dissolution of the Gold Dust Trio, sometime in the early to mid 1950s, the Capital Wrestling Corporation started running shows on the East Coast. Now, depending on who you ask, some people say they were run by Jess McMahon, who is the grandfather of Vincent Kennedy McMahon, great-grandfather of Shane McMahon. Some people say that, that, that Vince Sr., Vince's dad, was already running it, but, 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 but a McMahon was in charge and founded the Capital Wrestling Corporation. Um, the Capital Wrestling uh, Corporation would join forces with the National Wrestling Alliance and become that kind of East Coast wing of the NWA. And as Vince Sr. took over that company, Toots Mont, one of the founding members of the Goldust Trio, would come in as, as kind of the creative of the CWC, of the Capital Wrestling Corporation. Toots Mont was, I believe, the role that Pat Patterson would eventually find himself in when Vince Jr. would take over the company because, because Vince Jr. Would, would see his dad and see the way his dad worked with Toots Mont. And I think, I've never asked anybody about this, but I think you could probably draw direct parallels to when Vince took over. As different as he did things, he had his own Toots, and that was Pat Patterson. But uh, Toots joining forces 
with Vince McMahon Sr. to me has always been so fascinating because when you read about the Goldust Trio, you understand the parallels that, that while maybe this wasn't the first professional wrestling exhibition in the United States of America, it was, in my opinion, the beginning of sports entertainment. And the person who I would credit with the creative of the beginning of sports entertainment in America, Toots Mont, was also really the first creative, quote unquote, at the Capital Wrestling Corporation, which would become the WWF, which would become the WWF, which would become the WWE, but I'm getting ahead of myself because uh, they started to gain real momentum. And Vince Sr. and Toots started to gain uh, a lot of power. In 1963, the NWA uh, started feeling like they had taken the world title hostage. Toots and Vince Sr. were insistent on, on Buddy Rogers, their guy, being the NWA champion. But the NWA was worried that they would not allow the champion to travel as much as the champion was supposed to travel and that they would keep Buddy Rogers all to themselves. The NWA wanted Luthez to be the champion of the world. And there's this great story of Buddy Rogers uh, having a match or, or going to a show. And when he got to the show being told, hey kid, tonight it's you and Luthez and Luthez is going over. And Buddy Rogers looked at Luthez realizing that he really didn't have a choice in the matter and went, well, it is what it is. And Buddy Rogers would drop the NWA title to Luthez. And at first, they wouldn't acknowledge this in New York. Vince McMahon Sr. decided we're not gonna, we're not, we're not, we're gonna pay no mind to the fact that Buddy Rogers lost the title to Luthez and were advertising Buddy Rogers as the world champion on their shows. The NWA said, you can't do this. And Toots, Vince Sr., Buddy Rogers, and the Capital Wrestling Corporation decided to step away from the National Wrestling Alliance and go at it on their own. That's when, I believe, they changed their name from the Capital Wrestling Corporation to the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWWF. And the WWWF would crown Buddy Rogers as their first uh, uh, world champion. Now, uh, uh, Buddy Rogers um, was crowned champion after winning it in a tournament uh, that never actually happened, which they did at the time. You know, that, that's kind of the story of the Intercontinental title as well. There was a story, uh, there was a, a tournament in Rio de Janeiro that Pat Patterson won. The tournament never took place. But Buddy Rogers was crowned the world champion of the WWWF. This is how they got around everything in the NWA when they, and, they, and then apparently they left on good terms, but they said, look, we're, we, we, we need our own champion. This is the way we're gonna do things. And uh, Buddy Rogers uh, wouldn't stay champion over there. It, it, it didn't work out very long. I don't think uh, Buddy was in the condition to hold it. And at that point, they built their first true superstar of the WWWF era, which was Bruno Sammartino. Bruno Sammartino would be really that first guy. The guy, you could argue that it was Buddy Rogers because they formed the company around Buddy Rogers. But it was, I mean, I don't know, a month, two months, three, whatever it was before Bruno Sammartino was the guy. And this is how WWWF would continue to run the territory kind of forever, right? 
It was Buddy Rogers. It was Bruno San Martino. Pedro Morales for a second. It was Bob Backlund. It was Hulk Hogan. It was Bret Hart. Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Shawn Michaels. There's always, who's the guy? You can literally go back to 1963 and every single year. Who was the guy then? There's never been a time. And every time a guy goes away, they go, we're not going to have a guy anymore. It's going to be about the full product. But there always, always has been and always will be a guy. So Bruno San Martino is the champion. Uh, by 1970, Tootsmont would step away, uh, leave the company. And at that point, you know, he's a pretty old guy. Uh, and in 1979, still under the power of Vince McMahon Sr., the WWWF would shorten its name, become the World Wrestling Federation. The WWF, that is until in 1980. So this company runs 1963 to 1980. In 1980, Vince Jr. shows up. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Now, of course, Vince Jr., Vincent Kennedy, the Vince that we know, Mr. McMahon, had uh, been around the company, had learned uh, so much from his father, had watched his father do business, had become a commentator under his father. In 1980, he created a company called Titan Sports Incorporated. And in, sometime around 1982, Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, Vince Jr., purchased the company from his father, who owned it alongside other shareholders, which included Gorilla Monsoon, Arnold Skoland, and uh, Phil Zacco is what I read. But Arnold Skoland and Gorilla Monsoon, Arnold Skoland would have like a job forever in WWF, and so would uh, Gorilla Monsoon, for that matter. They named Gorilla Position after him. His presence is still felt in the WWE. So Vince had a, a, a very interesting business arrangement with his father and with the other shareholders, because that's the thing. It's not like it's just with his dad. Like They had to satisfy all of those men who probably liked the way business was going. He bought the company for a million dollars, it was done in monthly payments, but legend has it, and the story has been told many, many times, that the agreement was that if Vince missed any of the payments, that the ownership would go right back to Vince's father and to the shareholders. Uh, so Vince would end up, uh, you know, taking out loans, doing everything that he could to make sure he hit all the payments, and by sometime around the summer of 1983, Vince Jr. had ownership of the company. Um, now, at some point in the 1970s, Vince Sr. had apparently very quietly rejoined the NWA. So as soon as Vince Jr. took the company over, he once again withdrew. Any sort of arrangement that Vince had, Vince Sr. had with the NWA, Vince ripped it up, threw it out the window, said, we're not doing that anymore, and started working on national syndication, which... I mean, drove the territory owners insane. The NWA, like I said, we're starting this story in the 1950s. We're, we're talking about, you know, it, it already 40 years, I mean, decades of tradition of the NWA figuring out how to run wrestling in America and having all of these people, all of these promoters making money. Everybody was doing fine, except Vince Jr. came in and said, I think I can do it better and I'm going to take over the whole thing. See, most people would feel like Vince is a territory owner where the NWA is this presiding body. Vince said, no, 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 no. My product is the presiding body. I'm not competing with these little territories. I'm competing with the entire NWA. 
And this is when television syndication is getting big and cable television is getting big. But that's what people just go immediately. They go, yeah, Vince went on cable. It was national syndication. He started trying to get on as many syndicates as he could. So his show could be shown and making all kinds of TV deals. Again, I mean, just just paying out money, thinking that if I get my product and the way I present it in front of these wrestling fans, they're going to like my product better than the competition. And quite frankly, the local territories did not want to compete on that level. Now, Vince also started poaching. Vince started going territory to territory, poaching their big stars, saying, come over here, I'll give you big money, and I'll still put you on the local TV because I have a syndicate out there. And then, of course, he would also get the cable deals um, and, and, and really do everything that he could to take down the NWA and the AWA at that point. He was taking a lot of stars from the AWA, the Hulk Hogan's, the Sergeant Slaughter's, the, all these people. Now, Sergeant Slaughter, of course, had worked for his dad before, but you know what I'm saying. Um, he also toured nationally, right? He wasn't sticking to just Madison Square Garden, you know, whatever it was, New York, Pennsylvania, D.C., whatever the loop was. He started touring nationally. It was a huge gamble, and and the way he planned on, I think, making that money back was WrestleMania. He spent all the money. He spent all the money on, on television, on touring nationally, on getting all the big stars, and then on getting his show on, on closed circuit across the country in movie theaters and arenas everywhere. Big-time gamble. It pays off. And, I mean, look, the reason that he's able to do all this, right, the reason that Vince Sr. is able to declare his own world champion, Buddy Rogers. The reason that Vince Jr. is able to, to, to turn the WWF into a national product is because who are they answering to? They're the ones in charge. Every single wrestling mind around them is saying, stop doing it, stop doing it, stop doing it. No. Vince Sr. said, we want a world champion. Buddy Rogers should be that champion. He's gonna be the guy. Boom, WWWF. Vince says, no, I can do wrestling better than any of these guys, and I can make my product national and international. Who's going to stop him? Vince McMahon's in charge, Vince Jr. at that point. Um, obviously, WrestleMania 1 paid off. You don't need me to tell you that. That it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a, a huge gamble, but it was the absolute right move for Vince McMahon to make. Um, at that point people realized that it wasn't just Vince McMahon coming in and spoiling the party. That wrestling, as it always has been, reflects society. And what's going on and working in professional wrestling is what is reflecting the time that that professional wrestling exists in. If it is successful, it reflects society. And WWE being successful as a national product reflected what society was looking for in professional wrestling. So Ted Turner ends up saying, I want to get in the wrestling business myself. And of course, at this point, Vince McMahon was already on, but he was already with the words, with the terms. I'm not in the wrestling business. I'm in sports entertainment. I have, don't have wrestlers. I have superstars, this, this, the whole thing. I wonder if he would have, if he wished he hadn't called his show WrestleMania. Sports entertainment mania. So Ted Turner gets in the business. He buys out Jim Crockett promotions and creates his own national product, which is renamed World Championship Wrestling. The show was called World Championship Wrestling that was on Turner's network, TBS, the Superstation. Turner, which was a Jim Crockett show, 
except for when Vince McMahon took over the time slot, but that didn't work out for him, so he had to give it up, but that's another story. Turner buys it out and renames the whole company WCW. So now there is competition, and at first, not real competition, right? I mean, WWE was slaughtering them. WCW was number two, but it would be like if, if AEW didn't exist, and what would, I mean, you know, number two would be, I don't want to insult any other promotions, but it just wasn't serious competition for a very long time until it was. Until Eric Bischoff uh, became the executive producer and in the mid to late 90s, the NWO angle starts, WCW gets hot. And not only does it become competition, but it starts to do better than WWF was doing at the time until WWF pivoted, decided to change their product up because again, Who's in charge here? Vinnie Mac. We're going to do things completely different. We're going to put different guys on top. We're going to we're going to put on a different product. We're going to out-edge them. And boy, did they. They out-edged them to the point that within a couple of years of getting slaughtered in the ratings every single week head-to-head, Vince McMahon was able to purchase his competition, WCW, for pennies on the dollar in 2001. Now, before that, and some people would argue that this was significant for the company too, but I'll tell you why I don't think it's as significant. It's significant to the, to the money, and it's maybe significant to the public perception of the company, but I, I, I don't think it's as significant as the chapters that I laid out. WWF went public in 1999. And for most companies, when you go public, that's when it becomes difficult for one person to still maintain control, right? Like, like, it's, it, like for, for better or worse, WWE had been a family-owned business from the time Jess McMahon was running Capital Wrestling Corporation shows in the 1950s. In 1999, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, whatever, Vince McMahon takes the company public. Now all the shareholders are the owners. And I don't mean Gorilla Monsoon and Arnold Skoland. I mean anybody. My friend Chuck bought one share. He was one of the owners of WWF at the time. However, Vince McMahon uh, ended up with weighted shares that made it so that, of course, like any other publicly traded company, they had a board of directors. But Vince McMahon maintained all control as CEO. And as far as being on the board of directors he had shares that made it so that his vote was the controlling vote at the table. So they went public without Vince ever actually losing full control of the company. But now we enter into a time period where Vince has gone from fighting the territories. First, he has to fight the old school way of thinking, right? When the shareholders don't want him to buy the company from his dad. Then he has to fight his competition, the territory owners. They go out of business. Then he has to fight Turner and WCW. They almost get him, but he ends up buying them for companies on the dollar. Now we get into this, this, this new era where they really are shaping everything that mainstream wrestling is. In 2002, an incredibly significant event happened. The WWF would change its name to WWE immediately they would lose a lawsuit against the World Wildlife Foundation, the panda people, and 
WWE would change all of its name and branding. They'd let everybody know we were going to get the F out. They would not talk about WWF anymore. They would blur out the logo. And part of that is because they had to. And another part of that is because branding is important. And they wanted to pound WWE into people's heads. This is 2002. This is 20 years of people associating WWF with what professional wrestling was. And we're now in an era where they have no competition. It's just WWF or nothing. And they have to change their name. And they do to WWE. And nowadays they finally got into a place, you know, 20 years removed from when they changed their name. And isn't it wild to realize that today it's been just as long since WWE changed their name from WWF to WWE as it was when WWF changed their name from WWF to WWE from WWWF to WWF, right? WWWF changing to WWF. 20 years later, it changes to WWE. That was 20 years ago. That's how long it's been since they changed their name to WWE. And now you, you know, you talk to people and they go, what's that, that WWE stuff? It's been effective. WWE, I don't have to tell you, over the next 20 years would reach unimaginable heights as a company. Even without the sort of over-the-top huge cultural influence that they had in the late 90s and early 2000s with the Attitude Era, the, the way that they would redefine how business is done, the way that they would redefine uh, revenue streams and making money would just be the most incredible thing. In 2022, we'd have 20 years, 2022, Vince McMahon would step down as CEO, announce his retirement, but was replaced by his daughter, Stephanie McMahon. So a McMahon did maintain control uh, along with uh, Vince's son-in-law, Triple H being put in charge of WWE creative. Of course, only a few months later in January of 2023, Vince returned as executive chairman while Stephanie McMahon stepped down and Nick Khan was promoted from co-CEO to sole CEO of WWE. So of course, while Nick Khan was and is the CEO, Vince McMahon was still the executive chairman of WWE. So even if he wasn't part of the day-to-day -day decisions, and that's still debatable whether he was or wasn't, it's still his sandpit. We're in 2023, and at no point since the 1950s has this company not been the sandpit of a McMahon. In April of 2023, only a few months after that, it was announced uh, the day after WrestleMania that Endeavor would acquire the WWE to merge with UFC and create a company called TKO. The new company would see Endeavor holding 51% of it and WWE shareholders, 49% of it. Vince would be left with 34% ownership 
and 16% voting interest. Today, as we're about a week removed from the finalization of that merger, we look at a company that has existed for over 60 years, from the Capital Wrestling Corporation to the WWWF, to the WWF, to the WWE. But for the very first time, right now, we're left without a McMahon family member holding controlling interest of the company. It's as huge a change, I would argue bigger than Vince McMahon buying WCW. I would say, I can't imagine anything as big maybe since Vince bought the company from his father. And this isn't stuff that we'll see this week. This isn't stuff that we'll even maybe see this year. We're already in September, right? We've only got a couple months left, but this is a turning point in history. This is going forward. This is an entirely new, unprecedented world for the WWE. It cannot be overstated what a big deal this is. And the fact that this company that was a wrestling territory that was purchased for $1 million in monthly installments is now part of a $21 billion conglomerate. And what does all this mean? I mean, in the short term, I'm sure it means a combination of forces between WWE and UFC. I don't think they'll share arenas, but I think that, and it's been said that we'll see, you know, mega weekends where it's SmackDown on Friday, UFC on Saturday, WWE on Sunday. I think that the stars of the company will probably be able to pop in and out much more freely. We won't have to worry so much about making sure things are cleared by this contract or that contract because it's all... It's all serving one master. And that master is not Vince McMahon. It's, it's, it's so truly incredibly interesting to think about. WWE is not a wrestling company. It's a part of a media conglomerate. And there's never been anything like that in the history of professional wrestling. Nothing. This isn't like WCW being part of the Turner conglomerate because WCW, in terms of that corporation, aside from a couple of years in the late 90s, was Ted Turner's hobby. WWE is the thing. WWE is not a pet project of Endeavor. TKO is a massive, massive sports and entertainment company, the likes of which I think even the people in charge don't quite know how big it can get. But what is fascinating to me is that while Vince McMahon is one of the people in charge, 
he's not the person in charge anymore. And I don't think any of us, when we take a step back and we look at this through a, a, a much larger lens, I don't think that if you had asked any of us even a year ago, if you had asked any of us five years ago, if you had asked any of us 20 years ago, if you had asked any of us however long ago, do you think we'll ever see a day that Vince McMahon is not the number one person in charge of the WWE? We'd say no. And he's not. Within the WWE walls, if you get an email from Vince telling you to do something, you're going to do it. He's still the boss. But the buck doesn't stop there anymore. Can you imagine that? In the WWE, there's an over Vince's head. That's never happened before. We've gone outside the stratosphere. In terms of the wrestling world, we just went to the moon. That's never happened before. I didn't even know we could get up there. We're going to be watching this from a very, very long-term perspective. And this is going to be something that, as long as this podcast is alive years from now, I think we'll, we'll really be able to look back on and say, what happened when that new chapter started? Chapter one was the Capital Wrestling Connection as it pertained to the National Wrestling, or Capital Wrestling Corporation as it pertained to the National Wrestling Association. Chapter two was the WWWF. Chapter three, Vince McMahon buys the company. Chapter four is Vince McMahon sells the company. I don't know what chapter five is going to look like, but I am so excited to see it and so glad that we all get to witness it. It's an amazing thing. It's an awesome story. And I have loved this trip down memory lane reflecting on history as it pertains to the present. Because let's be honest, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. So let's see how this goes. Thank you, everybody. Stay subscribed. Uh, if you're on YouTube, leave a comment, hit like, subscribe, watch all the podcasts. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify, rating, review, do the whole deal. And we will see you again very, very soon.